0: From the Credit Union National Association, this is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union People Credit Union Ideas.
1: As traditional phishing attacks become less effective due to organizations' stronger internal controls, cyber criminals are turning to targeted business email compromise attacks. For these criminals, it's all about securing credentials, according to John Muller and Randy Romez, both cybersecurity principals at Clifton Larson Allen. The stakes are high. The average financial institution cybersecurity breach takes 177 days to identify and 56 days to contain, and costs nearly $6 million, according to the IBM Security Cost of a Data Breach Report 2021. I'm Bill Merrick, Deputy Editor at CUNA. In this episode of the CUNA News Podcast, recorded during the 2023 CUNA Cybersecurity Conference with NASCAS, Romez and Muller discuss the state of email phishing, the role of artificial intelligence in these attacks, how these crimes will evolve in the future, and more. Thanks for stopping by the CUNA News Podcast. Glad to be here. Thanks. I guess, first of all, could you share your, your backgrounds and, and how you got... Interested in the cybersecurity field. This is Randy. I'm I'm a bit of a poster child for
2: alternative career paths. I started out as a high school science teacher, self-taught computer person, and got an opportunity to change careers and join then Larson Allen LCLA in a more of an IT consulting role, just basic IT project management. And in about 1999. Our partner, Mark Geidt, got permission to start the cybersecurity practice. He tapped me on the shoulder to be his first good guy computer hacker, right? So white hat, hacking, penetration testing. And, you know, so I started doing this in about 1999. And we've just, we've kind of grown up and out into all of the different client bases that the firm serves now. So I, I've just kind of learned this on the fly. And here we are. Yep. What about you, John?
0: Yeah, I started out around the same time, late 80s. And, you know, things I think about is back then I was working <laughs> on computer hardware, installing computer networks when Novell networking was all the rage. And remember a time when you didn't have usernames and passwords. You just walked up to the machine, you had a C prompt, and you typed something in, and away you went. I remember probably early 90s coming across my first computer virus, which was a big deal because there was only a couple out <laughs> at that time. <laughs> and so, you know, from from there, just continued the IT consulting career, came on board with us, CLA about to 17 years ago, doing managed services, started working with Randy, gosh, probably 10-ish years ago, and, and this whole cybersecurity field, and it's a great field to be in. It's kind of just blown up in the last decade, so continuing yeah. to learn and try
1: to stay on top of it. What appeals to you most about the cybersecurity field and, and just the function that you do? From, from my standpoint, I like the regulated industry
0: aspect of it with credit unions. I like the ability to translate that into actionable items and things that the layperson can understand. I like the, I like the technology. I like trying to stay on top of that. And you're always learning something new. And then working with a great group of professionals within CLA, you learn from them every day that kind of keeps me motivated. Randy, what about you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I like the variety. The, the pace of change is pretty high. I got into it as a self-taught, kind of self-driven learner, and that's still the case. The people that are successful in this field need to be self-driven, kind of continuous learners I, I really enjoy the, the collaboration we have with our clients they they, re- they really rely on us because the field changes so fast and it's so important to their business that they they really depend on us bringing our a game all the time in terms of keeping up to date with what the latest issues are understanding you know how they need to serve their members and how do we how do we bring a balance of reasonable security with a reasonable level of convenience and a reasonable level of business performance.
1: And we're here at the uh, the 2023 CUNA cybersecurity conference with NASCUS and among other topics, you have a full plate this week. You'll be talking about business email compromise and phishing attacks. So what is the state of of phishing today? How would you characterize it?
2: Email phishing is the, in my mind, is, is the intersection between the people, you know, whether it's the, the member services folks within the credit union are the members so it's the intersection of the people and the technology and the processes and, and most of the security vulnerabilities we see always have seen they're at those intersections right we can make a computer bulletproof as long as people don't use it right we can we can make the people super secure if we don't let them access the systems and so the bad guys always have looked for those those weak spots those gaps those, Those overlaps, email phishing is still a root cause in about 85% of the breaches. And it's because it's the overlap of the people, the process and the technology. The, The phishing that the bad guys are deploying is continuing to evolve, you know, right along with the controls and the security. So in the old days, it was all about an email with an attachment trying to deliver malware. That's harder to do now because of our controls. So the bad guys have shifted focus to saying, okay, John's got access to log in and authorize payments or move money or do this. Instead of trying to deliver malware, let's just get him to give us his credentials. If, if we can get his credentials, if we can log in as him, now we're him on the system. And now we have whatever rights he has. And so that's why you see things like business email compromise, being a huge attack surface. You see a lot of email phishing focused on on nothing more than getting credentials. If we can get your credentials, we can log in and be you. We can impersonate you. And then whatever you have access to, we have access to. Whatever we can do to impersonate you and ask somebody else to do something, that becomes the, that becomes the attack surface. So as the, as the controls get better, the bad guys are getting better, too. They're, they're treating it like a business, just like we are.
0: Yeah, the first thing I thought about when you asked the question, the first word that came into my head was lucrative, mm-hmm. And lucrative for the criminals. They've continued to evolve, as, as Randy said. And, you know, you think about what's in it for them, what are they making off of it. I, I read something recently that said for every one successful business email compromise campaign that they run, they have to target 2,500 businesses and that's a pretty low if you're starting at 2,500 getting all the way down to one that's a pretty low percentage but it's lucrative for them and as Randy said grabbing the credentials is the number one thing that they're trying to trying to do and you know I think within our industry there's regulations there's constant testing and so controls get better but you think about those members who are not in a regulated space So they're not having CLA come in and test their controls. They're not having an external exam. They're the targets, and and easily so. And and what worries me about that for a credit union is now you have that criminal impersonating that number. And how do you stop that?
2: You know, you said an interesting thing about it. Taking twenty five hundred targets to get to one successful attack. The thing we have to keep in mind is just as we're trying to improve in automation with machine learning and and artificial intelligence well the bad guys are too so that transition from 2500 targets to one success Mm -hmm. most of that's automated Mm -hmm. most of that is not heavy hands on the keyboard time intensive for the bad guys the time intensive piece is in the last you know the last three to five when they start to get success that they don't put their hands on the keyboards Mm -hmm until they've got that level of success.
1: Yeah. I suppose it just the scale of it is just so much mm-hmm. greater now. Yeah. With AI. Yeah. It is and you think
0: about ransomware as a service is is something that I think is interesting because you've got groups that are, are writing the code, you've got different groups who are distributing that code out there and so it's very much run like a business subscription based and you know it's just we're we're dealing with smart individuals that I I always think of it as smart individuals who are using their talents for the, you know, the wrong way. I know Randy will be covering that in his, in his presentation here.
1: So in addition to AI as a kind of weaponizing AI, how else is phishing evolving? How are these attacks evolving?
2: Most of the, you know, they're still phishing consumers right we still get the hey you know your your amazon delivery is being delayed click here to figure out why so the the bulk of your fishing is is dragnet fishing right they they're just sending messages out cast in a wide net to see who falls for it over time you start to see more focused attacks so so in the in the dragnet one they just send it out and wait to see who bites when you look at situations like the solar winds breach that occurred about two years ago that phishing would have would have been very targeted so I I want to get into you know fill in the blank they're gonna do their homework they're gonna scrape LinkedIn they're gonna they're gonna scrape Facebook and other social media to build a profile of who can I attack here what sort of information do I already have so that I can make the message more convincing it's not a hey your Amazon package is is not being delivered. It's you know, here's uh here's the third quarter analysis from your peer who you work with all the time. Please review it and give me your feedback. Or here's here's the contract we need signed, it's a docusign. You know, so on the one end, you know, drift net type of fishing, just just looking for whoever falls for it to you know, at the other end of the spectrum, you have these focused attacks where they're targeting an organization, they're doing their homework so that they maximize the likelihood of their success. Mm-hmm. And it, it's all in that that interaction between the, the target and the bad guy where those pieces come together. You've got controls before the email gets to the user, you've got the controls at the user, you've got the controls behind the user. And so they're trying to find where the weaknesses are in those layers.
0: The other thing I think is interesting was what's changed. And so, you know, Randy talked about it's really hard anymore to send a phishing email in with some type of malware attachments because the controls are stopping that. The thing that we see changing is what I'll call luring, business email compromise luring, where now they're trying to establish some type of rapport with you. So you know they may reach out to you through a social media platform like LinkedIn to try to establish some connection and and, and that's the lure they try to get you connected that way so now when they start to fish you you're expecting it you're communicating and you feel like with you them. know that. Yeah. you feel like it's legitimate yeah and yeah. It's, and you know and its it's you catch people at the right time they're not paying enough attention whatever the case you know, may, may be. but I've seen a real uptick on that, you know, my own personal LinkedIn. And it's just always kind of interesting. I should sometime actually respond instead of deleting those messages. But you, you, you continue to see that as just the evolution as the criminals are, they're smart. You know, as soon as we come up with a control to stop them, they come up with a way to get around it. And a lot of times, too, what we're seeing is the technology is changing. So now with more and more credit unions using Microsoft 365, they're rolling that out. Email's a piece of that, but they're not understanding, IT's not understanding what controls need to be put in place, what's changing. And so you roll out a product that inherently has just control weaknesses, you know, so that applications interact and work with one another, and then they leave it like that. And we come along and... You know, we'll we'll talk to organizations that are rolling it out, and they say, no, no, we want to roll it out, and we, we want to test it for a while before, you know, we secure it. What's the logic behind that? John makes a
2: good point with the Microsoft Office 365 that the, the challenge there is, you know, effectively credit unions or other organizations, they're moving from a situation where their email was in-house on an in-house server. Mm-hmm. And over time, people decide, well, that's not as secure it, it's not as good. We're going to move to Office 365, and Microsoft's going to take care of all of it for us. I mean, there's a implied, sometimes explicit belief that Microsoft's just got it all covered, and it, it couldn't be farther from the truth. All you've really done is moved your email from in-house to somewhere else. The controls all still need to be enabled and managed. The challenge is we've changed where they're at, and we've put the people who are responsible for it in-house in a position where now they're responsible for it somewhere else, and they don't know how to do it somewhere else, right? So in reality, a lot of organizations made it worse because they just moved to Microsoft, they ran with the default settings, which are usually low security or the security controls are not enabled, and their people don't know how to manage it. You know, for example, there's a, this number's directionally correct. There's about 100 different cybersecurity controls in office 365. Hmm. What we're finding in, you know, assessing clients who, who just implemented on their own, they're, they're only aware of about 30 or 40 of them and they're only managing about 20 of them. And so the, the challenge there is everything's over here. Now we, we still have to operate it the way we did before the people in house, they don't know how to do it cause they're not office 365 cloud engineers.
1: What are some ways that credit unions can guard against business email compromise and phishing threats? How can they protect their own assets and, and their members? Assures.
2: I mean, there's 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 always several layers you have to consider, right? With a business email compromise, if you think about the people at the credit union, I kind of hinted at this before, there's there's three layers of, of, of controls I like to talk about. There are the layers of controls that inspect the messages before they even get to the user. So you think of those as your email filters, spam filters, things like that. You've got rules applied there for what, what should or shouldn't be allowed through, and, and you can often use those controls to put some notices in as well, right? You, you probably get the same thing now. CLA, when we get an email, if it comes from the outside, <coughs> there's a tag added to the subject, external, and there's something added to the body, force us to pay attention. So it's gotten through the filters. It's hit our inbox. Now we have to look at it, interact with it. So those are the controls, I call it, at at the person level. Randy's got to look at this message and, and understand what's being asked here. Is it legitimate? Is there something unusual? If everything passes the smell test and Randy acts on it, there should still be controls behind Randy in case he got caught in a weak moment. Things like what kind of interaction can he go back out and do on the web? What kind of documents can he open up? is his local device where he's working, you know, fully patched and secure, does it have the right antivirus or endpoint protection software enabled. So, technical controls in front, people process controls at the user, technical controls in the back. If it's a true business email compromise where they're trying to convince us, you know, some sort of payment fraud, yeah. well there's a whole another set of administrative controls that kick into play when Randy wants to make a payment. Randy wants to make a payment. Randy shouldn't be able to authorize a payment. If Randy's going to request, somebody like John has to authorize, and those duties need to be separated. So that's another set of administrative controls to safeguard actions that would occur after Randy fell for the fishing, whether it's payment processes or, oh, you know, go down, go out and download this update, right? Maybe the message is trying to convince Randy It's an IT person and say, hey, your your machine's not up to date. We need you you to install the patch for us. It's a variety of different layers. Some of those are going to be focused on one type of area issue. Some are on the other. The other part of the business email compromise is, you know, maybe the compromise is really on the other end. So very frequently, you know, we get asked to come in and help on these later on. And what we find is the client we're working for, they didn't have the compromise. The other side did whoever you're interacting with. This is very common in payment fraud situations. could be a vendor or service provider. Their email got compromised. The bad guys are in watching the email, understanding, okay, Bill, who do you email with? What kinds of things do you do? Lo and behold, every month you got two vendors that you're sending invoices to. And so at an appropriate time, shortly beforehand, they'll impersonate you, send John the email saying, hey, here's this month's invoice. Oh, by the way, pay it to this new new bank. So those things are outside the credit union. You don't have controls for that in in terms of technical controls. You need to focus your controls on awareness training and, and administrative processes such that a request that comes in like that, hey, this payment process, not only do I have segregation of duties, but I've got pretty rigorous and disciplined change management in the event that somebody says, pay it somewhere
0: else. Yeah, a lot of this is, you know, interesting looking back at it over time. Rainy, you know, I've done this for quite a while. Rainy will call it a belt and suspenders approach. I, th- I think about that where there's a lot of just basic things. It doesn't matter how the technology changes that you need to do. And if you do those things. Like Randy's talk about segregation of duties is one of those, training of employees is one of those, patching systems is one of those, testing systems is one of those. There's things that you can do regardless that are really gonna help you. So I don't look at it as whether it's does it seem a compromise or a ransomware incident as something that's just necessarily it's a matter of time before it happens to you. You never say never, but you can put in place the building blocks of a really good, solid cybersecurity program to keep your your business safe. But again, it goes back to if if the business isn't focusing on this, they're going to be very reactive. And we see too many instances where a business could have prevented something bad from happening if they would have just taken the time to put into place the you know the belt and suspenders, and and instead they don't.
1: What amounts have you seen in credit unions where there's been a breach? How substantial can the losses be? Yeah, I mean, I got one that I'm thinking about in
0: one of our case studies that we'll cover this afternoon, but it was over 4 million. Wow. Yeah.
2: We've got some anecdotal examples from from clients who are serving directly where, you know, it can be anywhere from the the low to mid hundreds of thousands up Mm -hmm. into the millions. There's actually some pretty good objective data from IBM and, and from Verizon where they track, you know, cost of data breach. Mm. Right. So you'll attendees at the conference here will see later today and on Tuesday in our presentations. You know, we specifically reference some of that cost of a data breach. If I remember correctly, the the average dollar amount lost in a breach for financial institutions is something on the order of six or eight million. Now that's, that's the total cost. If, if, if we send money out, sending money out is part of it. The, the rest of it is all of the other things that go around. Lost productivity, um, time and expense for legal and incident response professional services, changes in processes, downtime of systems, things like that, that aggregate to that total loss. The, the other good thing about that IBM report in particular is they've done, an, they've done some analysis to say, if you do these things, the belt suspenders that John was talking about, I call it the basic blocking attack, if you do these things consistently on a regular basis, these things being the elements of a mature or maturing IT and cyber operations program, you mitigate the dollar amount. So, if the dollar amount is, we'll just say six million dollars, you know, regular incident response program testing mitigates that loss by almost two hundred thousand dollars. Regular penetration testing, different from the first one, mitigates it by this much. Having a CISO mitigates it by this much. So there, there's a there's a laundry list of things, and those things. John's Belt and Suspenders, you know, we'll talk about them in our sessions. I I use the Center for Internet Security Framework to kind of easily describe those. Those are all elements of a mature or maturing IT and cyber operations program. Those things mitigate, lessen the impact of the breach. The the other thing they do for us is we'll also look at that report because there's data on how long are the bad guys inside before we know it. How long does it take to kick them out and so the the average the the global average is about 200 days the bad guys are inside before anybody knows it and another 70 days before we kick them out so these belt and suspenders things they, they do a couple things for us if we can get into a mature operations model they decrease the amount of time you end up being on the lower end of the average so so they aren't in as long And we can kick them out sooner. If we have those things in place, they mitigate the the amount of the damage. The damage becomes less. Why? Because they aren't in as long because we can kick them out sooner. So these are an old colleague of of mine called it. It's like a self licking ice cream cone. If you start to do these things regularly, the benefits accrue over time. It's harder for the bad guys to get in, in the first place. The amount of time they're in is less, and the damage they cause is less.
0: Yeah, one of the things I thought about when Randy was sharing that, that information and, and, you know, the bad guys being on the network for, you know, 200 days before it's, it's realized, there's another stat that I recall that says, once they're on your network, it takes them less than an hour and 45 minutes before they start to move laterally across that network. So once they get on it, they're moving. And, and think about what they're doing in that 200 days, the type of information they're, they're gathering. They'll look at, who are, who are you working with? A lot of times when we see business email compromise on a, on a member business, how does it affect the credit union? Well, the criminals sat on that member business network, watched how they communicate with the credit union, and now they jump in and they start to communicate with the credit union. And if I'm the credit union, how do I stop that? How do I recognize that? That becomes very, very difficult. And, you know, think about they continue to change. So we talked about business email compromise. We've talked about business email compromise luring, But the use of, of text or SMS to do phishing across that continues to become more prevalent. The use of social media platforms becomes more prevalent. So, again, you can't just stay in one spot and continue to do what you've always done. You have to continue to progress. And that's, you know, I think for Randy and I, that's what we enjoy about this position is helping clients. Because I, I always think about consulting what we do, it's like dog years. It's like one year one year as a cyber consultant, is, is, we're seven years as a, as a, you know, ISO someplace else. We see so much. Yeah. We're in, in and out
2: of different clients every yeah. week. You know, we get the, the benefit of learning, learning hard lessons very quickly because we're helping somebody through it and then carrying the lessons learned from those into our next interaction. Anything
1: else you'd like to add?
2: You've been pretty focused on, on business email compromise. You know, one of the things we've seen probably the last two to three years that's really evolved is, you know, how ransomware is being used and deployed. In the early days, ransomware started out just attacking consumers. Over time, as the bad guys got you know better and more mature, they started targeting businesses. And a lot of the early ransomware attacks, it was all about the ransomware: get in, plant the ransomware, pay me to to release it. Two things have really changed here in the last couple of years. The, the first, and it goes back to that IBM data breach report, you know, the bad guys are in for 200 days. What are they doing in 200 days? They're they're learning about the business. They are figuring out as much as they can, and they're monetizing everything they can while they have access. Ransomware these days is usually their last act going out the door. Either they've done everything else they can, they've monetized everything they can, or they think you're onto them and they're about to get caught. And so then they they unleash the ransomware so most of the time these days when you got ransomware you got other problems that occur that you don't know about yet the second part is you know a lot of organizations have gotten better now they're like fine you know ransomware's here we're not going to pay you because because we've got a reliable backup process we're going to restore bad guys say that that's fine we stole all your data here's a sample if you don't pay us we will publicly release that data and announce that you had the breach. Mm-hmm. So it's it's ransomware and, and payment to get the decryption key and get your operations back. It's also that, that extortion threat to release
1: the data. So
2: that, again, it, it just shows it shows how they're evolving.
1: Mm-hmm. Is it better to pay the ransom, do you usually think? I suppose it depends on the situation.
2: You gotta be really yeah. careful there. What, what, I, what we always say is, you need to check with, there, there's three entities a credit union would need to check with. You need to check with your legal counsel. You need to check with law enforcement. You need to check with your cyber insurance. Some places it's illegal to pay the ransom. It's against the law. Your insurance might have services related to ransomware response. So they have the expertise to, to deal with that. You know, in the old days, the anecdotal evidence was if you paid the ransom, the bad guys would get the keys back. Those were the smart, sophisticated bad guys because they realized if we run this scam and we don't release when they pay, nobody will ever pay. Mm -hmm. Right. So for a period of time, the anecdotal evidence was when you pay, you get your decryption key. Well, as it got easier, a lesser class of criminal got involved. And so sometimes you would pay and you wouldn't get it back or you would pay and they'd say, oh, you waited too long. We want more. Or or you would pay and get it back and they just go right back in and do it again. And so it, it got worse again for a while. Then it then it got better again for a while. The other thing I read about I either read this or it was part of an InfraGuard meeting where the FBI basically said, Look, here's the deal. You get ransomware, they take your data. Even if you pay them to not release it, the evidence seems to indicate that they're gonna release it anyways in the next year. The real goal here's gotta be to go back to that other piece we were talking about, which is the mature operations. Mm-hmm. The mature operations lessens the likelihood they'll get in in the first place. It limits the amount of time they are inside, and it lessens the impact. We have plenty of clients. The bad guys got in, and they try to unleash ransomware. But because of their compressed time frames, clients are able to respond quickly and shut it down before it takes over everything.
1: Enough to keep you awake at night. That it is
2: if you if you don't have those mature operations it is we've got plenty of clients that have them who say no we can sleep at night
0: thanks for listening to the CUNA news podcast subscribe to the show on apple podcasts spotify google podcasts and stitcher radio